Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Everything Co-op this morning. You know, this is a great, great, great day, and we're going to talk about co-op with Mr. Paul Hazen. Paul, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing this morning, Paul? I'm doing great, and you? Fantastic. Paul, you've had a wonderful life in cooperatives, and I would really like to share your life history uh, in this cooperative movement, and I'm a little envious of you because I didn't learn about co-ops until about 20 years ago, but you've had your whole life. How did you get started in co-ops? Well, it, uh, I guess I was born into it. Um, I'm from Wisconsin, and in Wisconsin there are more cooperatives than any other state. And I grew up in a small town, and uh, there was a farmer co-op and electric cooperative and telephone cooperative uh, in the community, and, and so co-ops were just part of life. And in a small rural community, people have to work together to get anything done, and so there were a lot of informal cooperatives where the community would come together to um, take on projects that no one could do by themselves. So I, I guess it's part of my DNA and, and uh, part of my uh, whole life story. So, so you said a farmer cooperative, an electric co-op, a telephone co-op? Yes, uh, and that's just in our community. And, you know, in, in the county there were all types of, uh, you know, dairy cooperatives and uh, uh, credit unions. Uh, you know, a whole variety of cooperatives. It's it's how people thought about organizing uh, businesses. So, with all of these different businesses, how, what would you describe or define a co-op to be? Well, it's a business. Uh, it's a business by people. It's owned by people that uh, use the business. And so, in the case of the telephone uh, cooperative, it was the people who got their telephone service uh, from the cooperative. They owned it. And uh, and if the cooperative made a profit at the end of the year, that those profits would be split up and uh, with the uh, with the consumer owners, and everyone would get uh, a share of the profits based on their patronage, based on the percentage of the of the uh, revenue that that they happen to generate. So uh, cooperatives are you know in the Midwest are a very popular form of business allowing, you know, communities to own and control the businesses there. The money stays in the community. It doesn't go to outside stockholders. Um, and it's a great way uh, to build wealth. A great way to build wealth. I like that. That's one of the reasons I love co-ops. Yes. Okay, a great way to build wealth. So you grew up in Wisconsin, You uh, and you were born into co-ops. And then when you started your career, in co-ops, what was your first sort of job in co-ops? Well, uh, just before that, uh, really wasn't my job in cooperatives, but after I graduated from the University of Wisconsin, I went to work for a member of Congress from my home congressional district. His name is Alvin Baldus, and his political base were the cooperatives. And so we would go, I would go to meetings with him all throughout the congressional district, cooperative meetings, and, uh, you know, Mainly farmer cooperatives and electric cooperatives, and see that could see the fantastic work that these uh, cooperatives were doing and, and the benefits that their members were achieving. And uh, so uh, we did a lot of work to uh, in Congress to help support cooperatives. So that was my really first introduction to to an interaction with them. And uh, unfortunately, he was defeated for re-election in 1980. And uh, so I found myself without a job, but I went to work for an organization called Rural Housing Incorporated, and this was started. Organization was started by uh, electric cooperatives in Wisconsin as a way to help improve the housing stock in the rural communities. And as part of that, uh, we would 
often organize housing cooperatives. So that was my first job in actually working uh, with cooperatives, both with electric cooperatives who were sponsoring the, the entity, but then also going out and organizing uh, housing cooperatives. So the electric cooperative, so let's talk about rural electric co-op for a minute before we go back to the housing co-op. Why were there electric co-ops, rural electric co-ops? Well, prior to the 1930s, uh, most of rural America did not have electricity, and it really held these uh, parts of the country back because they uh, you know, couldn't uh, uh, modernize their farms and, and their communities. And uh, the, the for-profit uh, investor-owned electric companies would not go out to the rural communities because they didn't see that it was uh, profitable enough. So uh, uh, President Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s created uh, programs that allowed people in rural communities, farmers and other people in rural communities, to organize and create their own cooperative, electric cooperatives, to bring themselves the power that they needed. And it really was a huge uh, economic boon for rural communities for the first time to get electricity to run their farms and their and their uh, their stores and their homes, and so um, it was uh, it, about um, 46 million people now across the United States receive their electric power from uh, electric cooperatives. How many people? 46 million. So it's a it's a huge uh, industry uh, for rural America, and uh, it provides uh, great benefits to these rural communities. Okay, I've heard that the electric co-ops also have uh, their grid is like seventy five percent of the land area. Yes, that, that's right. And so when you when you think about it, um, you know it's a lot more expensive uh, to cover that size of an area with your wires and your poles than it is if you do uh, electricity in an urban area where houses are, you know, one right next to, to the other. So, um, you know, this these electric cooperatives, they operate as businesses, but, uh, you know, they're not out to seek to, to make a profit for any outside stockholders. They're there to provide, you know, good electric uh, power at a fair price to people in rural communities. So the... the well, you say the for-profit businesses would not go into rural electric rural areas to put in electricity. So the they created rural electric co-op businesses where the people that used the electricity owned the business. That that's correct, and and so it was you know people helping people, you know the community coming together uh, to pool their resources. Um, and uh, to establish uh, electric cooperatives uh, that they then could, you know, provide the electricity uh, throughout the area. And, and there was one basic rule is that everybody was going to get electricity in rural communities because the person at the end of the line, often referred to as the last mile, that's the most expensive, you know, part of the electric grid. And oftentimes for-profit companies would stop and not provide that last mile of service. But uh, people in the cooperatives, you know, said this has to be for everyone and everyone's going to, you know, share the burden equally. So I think it's a real testament to the vision that these people had that, um, you know, they wanted to be inclusive and fair and make sure that everybody had the same opportunities. Boy, that's that's interesting, and and it's also so very interesting that today, sort of like you don't you don't know how it would feel to not have electricity. Yeah, that's but, that's right. We take that for granted now, um, and it wasn't that long ago. And so, when you when you think about cooperatives, they often get started in because the the market's not uh, providing uh, good or, goods or services, you know, and that's really the way it was in the 1960s and 70s, people wanted whole foods, organic foods, natural foods, and they just weren't available. Uh, and so people got together and organized uh, food cooperatives, consumer-owned food cooperatives, to go out and to find and the, these type of foods and bring them to the marketplace. Now we take that for granted. You can buy organic foods everywhere. But in the 60s and the 70s, 
when people were getting concerned about the quality of their food, it just wasn't available, and so people had to organize themselves in order to um, procure the food and, and tr- transport it and make it available uh, to everyone. So that's often you know, the role that cooperatives play is filling a gap in the marketplace where it might not be profitable enough for for-profit companies, but people banding together to do it for themselves, it, it makes economic sense. You know, we, we had that showing of the uh, the documentary Food for Change that Steve Alves uh, created uh, last month, but I understand, I don't have a date yet, but that uh, movie, that documentary is going to be shown in Ward 8, which is called a food desert because it's not a place you can go close by. And they're looking at creating a food co-op there uh, in Ward 8 to bring in the, the fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, and they're going to air that um, that, uh, that movie, that documentary. Well, and as soon as I find out when it is, it's supposedly sometime in December, uh, later this month, that I'll let people know about it because I'm, I'm wanting to go also. Well, you know, that's an interesting example because that's happening all over the country. You know, when President and Michelle Obama you know, put a focus on food security and healthy eating foods and really, really shown that there are food deserts across the country where either good, healthy food is just not available or it's too expensive. Um, you know, people have been rising to the occasion and organizing food co-ops all over the country. We're, we're seeing a uh, real boon in, um, in new food cooperatives getting started and with a particular focus on food uh, deserts. So that's, this is a great model. Again, the, the, the for-profit market economy, for whatever reason, has chosen not to go into these uh, areas. And the way, to, the way to get people healthy food is for them to join together and to do it themselves. Well, it's just like the, the um, electric co-op, or the, the, the capital for-profit companies couldn't make money in it. And that's the same thing. They don't see making money in Ward 8, so they don't go there. Um, or Jackson, Mississippi, or all over where these food co-ops are coming up. And so people can band together and work together and also minimize the expense uh, labor expenses so that they can bring in the food that they need or the electricity they need or the housing they need or whatever the, the need is in an economy. And that's what makes why well, I love co-ops, and I assume you do too. Right. Well, and this whole issue of uh, food security is, is not only an issue here in the United States, but it's around the world. You know, and right now, you know, oftentimes there's, there's enough food, but the distribution of the food and things – are, uh, is, is not efficient, and so there's a lot of waste. And I've been working for, oh, about the last 25 years in organizing cooperatives in the developing world. Well, we've got, we're going to come back and talk more about that, but we've got to take our first break, and we'll be right back to talk to you more about the kinds of things you've been doing in your life to create and develop co-ops. Um, and if any, anybody out there have a question, you can call in at one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six. If you have a statement or a question to ask, Mr. Paul Haven, and we'll be right back as soon as we get the weather, the traffic, and the news. Please don't touch that dial. Fourteen fifty W O L. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Everything cooperative is what we're talking about today, and we have the distinct pleasure of having Mr. Paul Hazen on this morning, talking about his life experiences uh, in developing uh, cooperatives, doing research in cooperatives, just building uh, the cooperative economy uh, in the U.S. and around the world. Um, and how long have you been doing this, Paul? You look like a young man, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, well. Probably 35 years uh, I've been involved with uh, cooperatives. And your first job was in the political arena. And then you started and you said the electric co-ops started creating rural housing cooperatives. 
So I wanted to go back to that because I learned about cooperatives, uh, being a property manager, managing housing co-ops, and that's where I learned about them. So these electric cooperatives, I guess using the sixth principle of cooperatives, cooperation among co-ops, started creating housing co-ops. So what was that job like, and why did they need to create housing co-ops in Wisconsin? Well, you know, the electric co-ops are not just about only providing electricity. It's, you know, providing a variety of services to their members and, you know, building up uh, rural communities. They, they want a better life for their members. So it's, so it's not only, you know, we're going to provide them good electricity. We want to make sure that they have all other opportunities. And they saw a need for better housing in rural communities in Wisconsin. And so it was just natural for them to use the uh, cooperative model uh, to help people organize housing co-ops in order to uh, provide a, a better housing stock, uh, stock in rural communities. And so they created a nonprofit organization called Rural Housing Incorporated, and we provided technical assistance to uh, local groups in order to help them uh, with the expertise that they needed in order to organize a housing cooperative. So was this for the whole community, or were you focused on seniors or any any particular group of people? It, it, it was a mix, depending upon what the community needed. Um, and uh, But uh, uh, it, it, we often tried to do kind of uh, a mixture of different types of uh, populations in, in the housing co-op, um, you know, young families all the way up to uh, to seniors, something that would reflect na- the nature of the community. You know, what I have found out uh, in the research shows that housing co-ops are better than apartment buildings. They work so much better. Every variable that you could think of, uh, lower rents, people feeling better about their housing, their community, lower crime. I can't get why the U.S. government, and HUD particularly, doesn't put more money into housing co-ops as opposed to apartment buildings. Apartment buildings seem to help the wealthy because they're the ones that make the profits. Um, They do provide housing for uh, affordable housing for folks, but housing co-ops doesn't look such a better job. Do you have any sense of why HUD and the U.S. government doesn't put more money into housing co-ops? Well, you know, uh, oftentimes organizing a co-op isn't easy. (laughs) You know, you have to bring the community together, and it takes time. And my observation is is that, um, you know, the the Congress and and any administration, they want quick action. And uh, it's much quicker to bring housing stock to the marketplace if it's a rental property where you're dealing with one developer and and uh, not trying to build community. So I think our, our greatest asset in the fact that we bring people together in a community to help themselves uh, from the government's perspective is maybe a negative, that that takes too long and it's expensive to do that. Long term, as you said, we can, we can demonstrate the, uh, the, the benefits. Uh, but I think too often... Um, you know, uh, the political class, they, they want short-term results and uh, are not willing to invest in the, in the long-term uh, uh, assets that are needed in order to provide real benefits. I'm glad I asked you that question because it makes sense, and I had toyed with that for, I don't know, the last 10 years of why not, um, even long-term, that you have less foreclosures. Um, they end up having less rent that they pay. I mean, there was a co-op, and they did a study of a co-op, Wildwood in Atlanta, where a two-bedroom was running $500 a month, where a two-bedroom apartment down the street was seven or $800 a month. So if the government was having Section 8 vouchers or putting money in it anywhere long-term, it's a lot less money they have to put into it. So I, I just... Financially, it makes more sense, I guess, like long-term, but most politicians are four-year terms, and they've got to get something done in those four years, so I guess they have a short-term focus. I guess that, that makes sense to me. Right. And, then, uh, you know, and, and, and the other benefit that uh, is not taken into consideration 
is the opportunity in a cooperative versus a rental for the members to build equity, you know, to build wealth. Um, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. So, totally. Yes. Uh, you know, so if, if, if that's what we're trying to do is to raise people out of uh, long-term poverty, the best way to do that is to give them an opportunity to, uh, you know, to own uh, a piece of property. The Wildwood study showed that a person got 7.1% return on their membership fee, which a lot of times is the security deposit. And they were saying it's the, the great investment because they couldn't get that anywhere else. And uh, But that they also didn't take in consideration that opportunity cost that I talked about. If they were down the street, they'd have to pay 700 or $800 a month, where they only had to pay 500 in the co-op. And that re- having to pay a lot less meant that they had more money to spend on other things, whether that's education or savings. And they got a, 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 a um, what do you call it? They could do a write-off of their taxes and uh, interest. So all the way around, it's better. How do we get the government to, like, need more politicians like Franklin Roosevelt that you talked about? Um. Hmm. Any other comments on this one? Well, no, I, I, I think it's been a problem that we've been facing for, for decades. And, it, and you're right, it, it'll take someone with some vision and leadership. And there are all kinds of other examples beyond uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, you know, President Kennedy and uh, Senator Humphrey. You know, we're all big advocates of, of cooperatives. And, I, you know, and even, you know, uh, we made great progress with uh, President Obama. He sees worker cooperatives as a way to provide uh, good jobs uh, in, in, uh, throughout the country, but especially in low-income neighborhoods. And so there's been a real emergence since the Great Recession of worker co-ops in this country. So I think we just have to keep at it. And, and those of us who uh, you know, are advocates for cooperatives, we just have to keep pushing. Um, put you on a spot here a minute. What do you, what do you think about President-elect Donald Trump? That you think he might be an advocate for co-ops? Well, I don't think we, we we don't know. You know, he he didn't make any statements uh, about cooperatives in the campaign. Um, and uh, but here's what I think we ought to we ought to think about is is to uh, cooperatives are business. He likes business. And we're a great example of public-private partnerships um, where we can bring communities together. And he certainly, you know, um, uh, made an effort to focus on those type of issues. So, you know, showing that here's a business model where people can help themselves, where they can create jobs, create better communities is what we need to show him. And I would hope that he he would see this as a great business model that – you know, anybody can take advantage of. Anybody can use and be a member of a cooperative. You know, he did go to a rural electric cooperative meeting. I forgot which. I, I, which believe, I believe that was in eight. South Carolina. I think you're exactly right. So, yes. yeah, so that's a great first step. Uh, I like your optimism, <laughs> and you're a real politician, sir. I mean, you're real. You're looking for a the right way, and so. I guess that's what you've learned throughout your life in this in this cooperative world is how to how to look for the the right way. So after rural elect rural housing, where did you go from there? Well, I I came to Washington to work for the National Cooperative Business Association. This is the uh, apex organization that represents all types of cooperatives, and I started out there uh, uh, working uh, with uh, food. Uh, cooperatives, doing educational programs, and doing advocacy work on behalf of food co-ops on Capitol Hill. And you know, hmm. and and you know, you brought up the politicians. The great thing about cooperatives is they appeal both to liberals and conservatives. Uh, you know, liberals like it because it's people helping people, it's inclusion and empowerment for people. Conservatives like it because it's business and creating jobs in, in communities. And so we have a great model here that should appeal across the political spectrum. Okay. Um, you're getting me to be optimistic here, <laughs> Paul, and I needed that because 
I've been praying a lot since uh, Donald uh, Trump uh, won and uh, felt like Bernie would have been a better candidate for co-op because he has preached co-ops and he had tried to get money for worker cooperatives from the Senate floor. So he had done a lot. So I thought he would have been the best one. But you're looking, you've got the right look. And I like that. That's very helpful to me and I hope for helpful for people out there. And we're going to take our second break. And we'll come back and pick up on uh, your life history and the things that you've learned about co-ops and how to develop co-ops. So we're hopeful, and why NCB is sponsoring this program, that we can get more and more people excited about cooperatives, whether they're conservatives or liberals, and create more and more co-ops. But we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. 1450 WOL. Again, everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, Everything Cooperative. Uh, we have Mr. Paul Hazen on the show with us this morning, who has been very helpful to me and looking forward and optimistic to uh, our future with our new president-elect. Uh, Paul, uh, you started NCB, uh, NCBA, National Cooperative Business Alliance, and uh, what, what did you do after that, your first job? Well, I, I see your first job there. Yeah, I, um, I spent about 25 years at uh, NCBA and uh, really working on cooperative development issues, both domestically, domestically and internationally. Um, we, uh, we were responsible for creating uh, rural uh, cooperative development centers across the country uh, to provide technical assistance to local people to help them organize all types of cooperatives. And there's now a network of over 25 of these uh, organizations that uh, we helped uh, start. I worked on that uh, for for many years. Um, at uh, NCBA, I, I led the effort to uh, achieve and the uh, top-level domain for cooperatives, .coop, um, you know, the sponsor of this program, the National Cooperative Bank, they have their website, ncb.coop, and uh, that was an international competition. And there were over a 1,000 different top-level domains at the time proposed, and uh, there were seven that were uh, chosen. So uh, cooperatives were seen in a very good light in order to have our one of the first uh, top-level domains just for cooperatives. The only way you can get that uh, uh, that web address is that you have to be uh, a cooperative. So I was very proud of the effort that we put into that to raise the visibility of cooperatives and to give them a uh, you know uh, an advantage uh, in the marketplace. Um, but uh, I've done oh, a lot oh. of uh, cooperative development work across the country, both in rural and urban areas. So, so, but that. That co-op, um, uh, we found very interesting. We being Pat Thornton, who is um, who produces this program, and we have everything dot co-op. So we went through the process of getting that approved, and it turned out to be, um, as I talked to her, it turned out to be uh, really easy and fun. That the people that were doing it were quite nice and helpful. Um, like you said, NCB, National Co-op Bank, is ncb.coop. NCBA, National Cooperative Business Alliance, is ncba.coop. Um, but I, I really like it. So our web address, if you wanted to get past uh, programs, you could go to ncb, I mean, everything.coop to get past programs. And this program that we're having with Mr. Hazen today will be on in a, in a week or two. Uh, so thank you, Paul. That, that was quite, quite, quite helpful. Um, now, I want to go back to these 25 co-op development centers. Can you can talk a little bit about where they are and if somebody wanted to find one, how they could go find a development center if they wanted to develop a co-op? Sure. Well, you know, they're, they're all throughout the country. Um, and they're really what, – what we found is that there's a lot of economic development work going on in communities. 
but oftentimes in these organizations, there's very little knowledge about cooperatives. Uh, so you might have a, you know, a, a local economic development agency or a unit of government or someone who's out there trying to create jobs and, and you know, develop the economy. And uh, but they don't have the expertise in cooperatives. So our concept was that we would create a network of centers where there would be staff on hand that had expertise in cooperatives. And they've organized themselves into a group called Cooperation Works. And so you can go to cooperationworks.coop, and there you can find resources, but then also find if there's a uh, co-op development center near you uh, that uh, could you know help someone in a local community organize a cooperative. So, um, again, it's trying to provide the resources necessary for uh, people and communities to, you know, improve their lives. Cooperation Works, cooperationworks.coop.coop. That's correct. And you can find the 25 centers and see if there's one close to you. Because I, I... keep talking to people, and when I tell them about co-ops, they get excited, then the question is, how do I get more and more information? And I would tell them about CDF, uh, Cooperative Development uh, Foundation.coop, CDF.coop, and they have some funds to help different people start co-ops. They have a a fund to help people start food co-ops. They have about six funds. But I, I don't have all of these 25, so thank you for that. Cooperationworks.coop. Okay, so what are some of the other things you did at NCB, particularly international? You said you uh, developed co-ops domestically and internationally. Yes, it's a very interesting story. Uh, in 1961, uh, President um, Kennedy uh, put forward a, a new Foreign Assistance Act. Uh, rewrote the Foreign Assistance Legislation. And uh, Senator Humphrey at the time from Minnesota said, you know what, Uh, cooperatives have been so successful for rural America, let's use this as a model to help people in the developing world uh, improve their lives. And so written into the 1961 uh, Foreign Assistance Act are many provisions for the encouragement of the development of cooperatives. That legislation is still in place today. And so the State Department and the U.S. Agency for International Development have, have a mandate to help people in the developing world to organize cooperatives. Well, when the government set out to do this, they said, you know what, we really need to draw upon the expertise that we have in U.S. cooperatives. And so um, uh, they said, the federal government at the time, U.S. Agency for International Development said, you know, could the U.S. cooperatives come together and advise us on how to approach this. And so the organization that I happen to run right now, uh, the U.S. Overseas Cooperative Development Council, was created. And this is made up of all the major uh, cooperative sectors in the United States, uh, credit unions, agriculture cooperatives, housing co-ops, food co-ops, electric cooperatives, have come together, and we you know, advocate for cooperatives both in the administration and in Congress. And uh, these organizations also receive funds from the federal government to organize cooperatives in the developing world. It's been a very successful program, lifted millions of people out of poverty across the, across the world. And, um, you know, in, in some countries, uh, you know, the cooperatives are major players. As an example, in India, the largest dairy business in the country is a cooperative made up of 12 million farmer members. Most of them are women um, that, for the first time, as they join the cooperative, make money and empowered uh, to own a very large, successful cooperative business. That's just one example, and I could give you, Vernon, you know, hundreds of examples of similar success stories around the world. You know, I've, I've often wondered if, uh, you know, you take um, the State Department, um, if we had a a policy, uh, an international policy that said we're going to do exactly what Kennedy talked about as our foreign policy is to help to raise people up as opposed to, most of the time I hear talking about foreign policy, it is, 
fighting against Iraq or Russia or something, and it's sort of how can we have a, a better emphasis on this sort of helping people to to come up? Because I was struck when when the uh, United Nations said uh, they're going to use the year 2012 as the year of the cooperative. And I was fortunate enough to be in the audience at the UN, and I think it was October of 2011, and listening to around the world, the co-ops, the cooperators around the world talking about what they were doing, whether it was in Russia or Germany or Argentina, it didn't make any difference where, but, it, and it was just sort of like there was a common thread of, of, of we we all want to see our people improve, we all we, we all want to see our families improve, and with that common thread, it seemed like we'd have a much better foreign policy of of emphasis on this than on the places that it looks like there might be a war or fighting taken out. Do you have any sense of that? Well, you know, it's again lots of examples in post-conflict countries where cooperatives have been used to uh, heal communities and bring people together that once were adversaries um, and and bring them together into a cooperative business where they're dependent upon one another. And it's if you're dependent upon your neighbor for your livelihood, you're much less likely to take up arms against them. And so um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great model. Uh, it brings democracy to uh, many of these countries that have never known democracy where, um, you know, they – for the first time ever, they may have a chance to vote for the board of directors of, of the cooperative and learn about uh, running for office and being responsible to your um, uh, to your uh, fellow citizens. So um, we often say that um, you know when there's cooperation, nobody gets killed. Uh, you know, it's bring, oh. it's bringing people together. So uh, it's it's been in many countries, it's been a a fantastic uh, business model uh, to heal many wounds and to bring communities together. Well, I hope you don't mind us using that. Well, we, uh, Pat and I are con- constantly uh, getting quotes, and this is one that I want to use. When there is cooperation, nobody gets killed. Yeah. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, the one that uh, Dame Pauline Green, who was the president of ICA, said uh, – Cooperation brings people out of poverty with dignity, and that's up until this one. That was my favorite. When there's cooperation, nobody gets killed. That's really, really good. I couldn't figure out why, but that's what I've I've been getting as I've been talking to people. That when there's cooperation, people just work together. It seems, and I guess it is what you just said. They're dependent on each other, and it, therefore the first uh, cooperative principle is that it's all-inclusive, that it doesn't make any difference of what somebody's religious background is or or their um, what that, were their political outlook, what, what their gender or what's their racial, that is volunteer and open membership throughout. So it sort of it would lend itself to this thing if you're, if you're in a cooperative, cooperative, you depend on each other, and it doesn't matter about any of these things. But the other thing you said I find interesting is mostly women in, in this Indian cooperative. And uh, what Jessica Gordon-Nimhard said in her book, Collective Courage, in the black experience of cooperatives, it was mostly women also. Why do you think that's so? Well, when you look at agriculture in the developing world, the women do most of the work. And so, um, again, your point about uh, it's an inclusive business model. So if you're going to organize farmers in a particular country, the women have to be members of the co-op because they're, in most cases, doing most of the work on the farm. So, um, and, it's, and it's one of the things that, as, as you already said, it's just uh, one of the cooperative principles where everybody has the same opportunity. So that's, that's the reason where you, why you see so many women because they're the ones doing the work in, in, on these farms. I had a lady on a program once that said that women just get along better than men. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's true or not, but it brought some laughter to the conversation. Okay, we said volunteer and open membership, democratic member control. You've already mentioned that. You've already mentioned member economic participation. They 
money in and get money out if there's a profit or surplus. They have to be autonomous and independent. And the other, the first reason I like uh, co-ops is because education, training, and information is one of the principles. We've already talked about cooperation among cooperatives and concern for community. And, Paul, those are the seven principles, which you know better than most. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other things that you're doing right now. Um, we are having our final break, and we have our final segment, and we'll come right back. Please don't touch that dial. Fourteen fifty W O L. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. If you wanted to get some of our previous. Uh, shows you can go on everything.coop. That's everything.coop, and we have on the show with us Mr. Paul Hazen, who's had 35 years in the cooperative business. Grew up in Wisconsin, where throughout his community there was nothing but co-ops. I didn't have that same experience growing up in Bluefield, West Virginia. Paul, to my knowledge, there were no co-ops, so I didn't get this until 20 years ago. So um, how can people get to Overseas Cooperative Development Council if they needed to just learn about it or see about it? Yep. They can go to our, our website, ocdc.coop, and uh, learn about uh, the work that U.S. cooperatives are doing around the world. Uh, the, uh, the members of the Overseas Cooperative Development Country, uh, Council are working now in about 70 countries uh, around the world um, in uh, agriculture, uh, credit and finance, insurance, telecommunications, electricity, you know, really doing in rural rural parts of these developing countries, you know, what we've done successfully here in the United States and transferring that knowledge and uh, empowering people that in many cases would never have an, any opportunity without the, the cooperative. That sounds fascinating. And right here in the U.S., you helped to start something called Consumer... A Community Purchasing that? Alliance Cooperative. Consumer Purchasing Alliance, CPA. Yes. And I guess that's cpa.coop? That's correct. You can go to our website okay. and find out all about it. it. It really got started as a reaction to the Great Recession. And if you look at the history of cooperatives, often there are waves... Of, co- of cooperative development following economic or social upheaval in the country. Um, that happened in, after the 1890s when, you know, the big robber barons and the big banks controlled things and there was a severe recession after the Depression in the 30s, after the social unrest in the 60s, and now after the uh, Great Recession in 2008 and nine, And people will say, you know, we just went through some tough economic times. There has to be a better way to organize business. And the people often find the cooperative model in, in that search. And right here in Washington, D.C., a group of uh, religious leaders said, you know, uh, our religious institutions suffered during the recession. People lost their jobs, and they weren't able to contribute as much money to uh, their favorite religious institution. What if we got them together and combined their purchasing power and bought things that they all need to save money that then would allow them to put money back into their mission and ministry and and programs in the community. And so out of that was born the uh, Community Purchasing Alliance Cooperative, um, where uh, these institutions joined together. They jointly purchased electricity, natural gas, uh, trash hauling, um, janitorial services, uh, installation of solar panels, copier machines, anything that'll that a institution would need in order to run their organization. And it's been very successful. Um, uh, we've been in business formally for just over two years. We're completing our third year. And as a startup, you know, we, we didn't make money right away, but now we're, make, we're making a, a profit that can be uh, put back into, uh, distributed to our members at the end of our fiscal year. Um, we've expanded to include uh, charter schools, 
Uh, right now, 10 charter schools in the district are banding together to install solar panels. Um, and uh, so there will be a great savings uh, for these uh, uh, charter schools and their electricity, but then also they're reducing their carbon footprint. Um, and we're very much in the Community Purchasing Alliance, not only about saving money, but by doing business with vendors that uh, share our same values. We're very much of a values-driven uh, organization. As an example, um, the uh, when we got bids for trash removal, we did not go with the lowest bid uh, because they did not pay their employees a living wage. So we went... We decided to uh, go with a higher-priced option, but we were guaranteed that their employees be paid a living wage, and that was very important to us. So we, we have another saying we like to say, we change the wor- world even when we take the trash out. Um, <laughs> we're really trying to you know, um, do business in a different way and make sure that uh, we are um, putting our values into place when we're buying uh, products or services uh, in the community. Okay, so this Community Purchasing Alliance, first off, anybody out there listening, you can go to cpa.coop to get information about this. You started out with churches, and then you, you now have charter schools. Um, I know we looked at some of uh, the housing co-ops, particularly affordable housing co-ops, and I was very pleased to find out that uh, the properties that I managed uh, were, were already getting a lower price on trash collection, and I did have some of them quote, uh, the, you know, the people that you are using, um, and that just they said that because we were doing it as a as a third party management company, we had negotiated some some pretty good uh, deals. Um, but I, I bought my copy machine through you guys, and I was so impressed. I, I tell you the place which you didn't mention where I was impressed with was the contract. When I was reading the contract that the copier company gave me, everywhere I said I was going to have a, a disagreement, he said, oh, they've already worked that. You won't have that problem. So you, CPA had already worked out a contract that was better for the people that bought that copier machine. And I finally told the guy, well, just give me the contract they've already worked out and don't give me this old one. Um, so not only do you help save money, you also have the expertise to make sure that the contract that's been given is good for the church, the charter school, or me or anybody else that's working with, uh, in my case, affordable housing folks. Right. Um who else can join this group? Well, we, Who else can be a member? Yeah, uh, any, any community-based organization um, can, can join the CPA. Uh, we not only have churches, but we have synagogues and mosques. Uh, so any, it's open to any religious institution, community-based organization uh, that uh, is in the D.C. metro area. Um, and, uh, and you made a very good point. Oftentimes, many of these institutions are run by, are run by volunteers or even a skeleton staff uh, that do not have the expertise to know the market and to negotiate good uh, contracts and agreements. And so we have professionals who, who do that. Um, and I know my church, uh, Founder United Methodist Church, we uh, utilize a lot of the programs of the CPA, but we wanted to install solar panels and really did not have the expertise to understand uh, the contract and requirements in order to, to install the solar panels. We did that through CPA with about nine other uh, institutions, and it was, you know, it would have cost us a fortune to go out and hire an attorney on our behalf to, to help us with the contract. CPA did that for us, and uh, it was a great example of how, again, working together, everybody can benefit. And you, your example of the of the uh, copier contracts is repeated in every one of the products or services that we offer. So I would encourage any uh, community-based organization out there, a nonprofit organization that is interested to go to our website, cpa.coop, find out information about how you can join all the various um, uh, products and services uh, that we offer. We really, we really have great plans 
uh, for this co-op. We want to continue to expand in the D.C. metro area, but we have plans to replicate this across the country. Uh, we think there's, you know, harnessing the purchasing power of community-based organizations that allows them to save money and put money back into the community, that's a win-win for everybody. And so we, we hope that this could be a great economic, you know, engine for community development and programs that help uh, lift people out of poverty. Well, like your motto, save money, do good together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So that if they save money, then they have more money for programs. And um, I also went to another meeting uh, where they had in Southwest all of the, the not all of, but a lot of the properties in Southwest with all of this this construction going on coming up to talk about how they could do good together to sort of welcome the new properties and what kind of things they could do. So I like the idea of working together not only to purchase, but also to figure out how they could do good together. That's phenomenal to me. Yeah, that, that's that's the whole purpose. I, I think uh, as we've developed this cooperative, people have become more interested in that those aspects of what we're doing. Saving money is important, and that's good. But building a better community is what's really driving people, the opportunity to, you know, encourage people to pay their employees a living wage or above, you know, doing the right thing by the environment by increasing, you know, uh, recycling and lowering our carbon footprint. You know, those are the things that uh, really have the impact on the local community. Well, that's pretty much the last word, Paul, except do you like what you're doing? Oh, I love what I'm doing. You know, it's having the opportunity to see people improve their lives and being a you know small, small part of that. That's what gets me up out of bed every morning. Okay. Thank you, sir. I'm so glad you came on, and I'll look forward to talking to everybody next Thursday. In the meantime, please work cooperatively. And, uh, Paul, I can't thank you enough for what you do for our country and for our world. Please keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Vernon. All right. Bye now. Fourteen fifty W O L.